Uh, good morning. My name is Matt Holweger, and this is my wife, Emily. Um, my wife and our four kids, we've all been uh, attending Crossroads for the last oh, 12 years. Um, Emily has uh, helped serve in the women's ministry, and we've both served in the, uh, the children's ministry. So um, they asked us to come up here. It said before, you know, before we get started uh, into the message, they wanted us to um, frame up our time today by reading from uh, the passage of scripture Phil is going to be preaching from. So we're gonna go back to that verse, those verses in Colossians. So if you all have your Bible nearby or you have your Bible app open or if you just wanna listen along, that's great. But we're gonna spend a few moments going back to Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 20 and just really focusing in on the, suprema the supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now I've lost my spot. <laughs> and my eyes are old. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Thanks, Emily, for reading that. And Matt, we're so glad you guys are part of the Crossroads family. Thanks for the ways that you serve around here, but also in this community. Uh, last weekend, we kicked off a series that we're entitled 101, and it's a study through the book of Colossians. We're really trying to discover what is foundational to faith and followership of Jesus. Paul wrote to those in Colossae to address some of the false teachings that were kind of surrounding that culture and to really point out who Jesus truly is and how we can love and follow him in our lives. Last week, we looked at what the gospel is all about. And we learned that the gospel is the good news that God has saved us from our sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus and set us apart to live lives that please him. That uh, the gospel, Paul says, brings to us like a qualified, a status that we're qualified because of what Jesus has done for us. That we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. That we have been redeemed and also that we have been forgiven of our sins. And all of this brings to us power to live this daily life in the real here and now 24 seven. It gives us courage to have patience, to endure. It helps us to be strengthened from the inside out. It happens to bring to us this joyful gratitude for all that God is and all that he has done. I hope you took the time this past week to read through the book of Colossians. It really should take you about 15 minutes to do that. Remember, I'm a slow reader from Kentucky, right? So if I can handle this, hopefully you can too. Also hope you took some time just to write out a prayer, thanking God for the power of the gospel. And also asking God to help that power come to life in your life, to help you grow in your knowledge of God, to help you be strengthened, to help you have patience and, and to endure and also to be joyfully grateful. 
As you came in this weekend, you probably picked up a, another assignment card. We're using these each week. And you might notice that the first assignment this coming week looks really familiar. Read through the book of Colossians, chapter 1 through 4. We'd encourage you to do that again this week. And maybe to make it an enlightening experience, you might choose to read in a different translation than you did this past week. We're going to encourage you every week to read through those four chapters of the God, uh, from uh, the book of Colossians. If last week was about the how the gospel saves us from our sins and empowers us to live godly lives, this week's passage is really about the who. Did you catch who the who is when you heard Colossians 1, whether you read it this past week or just heard it a few minutes ago? It's obvious that God is the one who makes all this possible, right? God is the creator of all things. He's the source of all things. He's the giver of all good things. But it's clear from Paul's words in Colossians 1 that God has chosen to work through Jesus. Jesus is the he in Colossians 1 verse 15. Who is Jesus? That question has been debated widely since Jesus walked this earth himself. And it still has a wide, response, a wide range of responses in our world today. Check out this video real quick. Oh boy. Oh boy. That's a tough one. Who would I say that Jesus is? I think it's likely he existed as a person. The only human who ever lived a perfect life. Son of a, no, was he a carpenter? He was a carpenter. Yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah, and he's also like a, like a picture of ideality, like a picture of work, a picture of extending care, a picture of love. Um, and as far as that's concerned, I would want to mirror him. I think he was clearly an illuminated man. I think he changed um, the course, in a way, of um, human humanity. Almost like a link between all religions. Um, I think what's remarkable about, about Jesus being one with God is that he, he would associate with us. <laughs> the magic of it isn't important to me, but the fact that he was kind of a real guy who, who existed and had a following and like died for those beliefs and that those causes of like treat others as you would want to be right. treated, that sort of thing. That's the important thing to me, so. I mean, he was really, definitely tapped into something. I think he was tapped into the core of what a lot of religions and spirituality kind of revolves around. If he didn't die for our sins, I mean, we'll be dying for our sins. So all these fabulous concepts were presented by this person called Jesus. Whether it's real or whether it's just a figment of someone's imagination, that's irrelevant. That video produced by the Alpha Course reveals that there still is a wide range of ideas about just who Jesus truly is. Some of those responses are accurate and some of those certainly are not. We look at the Bible, we look to the Bible to reveal to us who Jesus' true identity is. And I think Paul gives us a powerful picture in this letter to the Colossians. Before we jump into uh, unpack all these statements that that Paul makes about Jesus, I think it's important to point out that most scholars think that verses 15 through 20 were actually a, an ancient hymn. Now we say ancient because we're 2,000 years removed, but it wasn't ancient in those days. It was probably about 25 or 30 years after Jesus walked the face of the earth that someone penned this poem or this song about Jesus. 
There are two other hymns recorded in scripture in the New Testament about Jesus. They're found in 1 Timothy 3.16 and then a real familiar one, Philippians 2 verses 6 through 11. We don't know for sure if Paul is just copying word for word every lyric from this hymn or that he's expanding on them. But it's very clear that the theological truths that Paul's presenting about Jesus are affirmed throughout scripture. They are foundational to us in our understanding what faith in Jesus is really all about. So I want to walk through several of these truths that Paul declares about Jesus. And the first one is this. In verse 15, Paul says that Jesus reveals the true identity and character of God. Now we've visited this truth many times, but it should never be ignored and it shouldn't ever be overlooked. God and Jesus, along with the Holy Spirit, are all three persons of the one true God. And we speak of that concept as the Trinity, God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, who's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. All three have the same character, but they also have unique roles. One of Jesus' primary roles is to reveal God's character. In verse 15, Paul says that Jesus is the visible, of, visible image of the invisible God. And this means that he's the exact representation of God. This is echoed in the Hebrews chapter of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The Hebrew writer says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Exact representation means he's the same in every way. I have a friend whose mom grew up being trained as a bank teller. And she talks about how she was trained to understand what a counterfeit bill was like, to identify that. And the way she was trained to identify counterfeit bills is by studying and feeling and handling what an authentic dollar bill or hundred dollar bill was like. Because she spent so much time with the authentic bill, she could spot a, a fake bill immediately. Now, growing up, my family wasn't used to exchanging $100 bills or, or even counterfeit bills for that matter, but my mom tried to trick us every once in a while by substituting something that wasn't what we were expecting, the real thing. In fact, uh, my family growing up, we never drank like Coca-Cola or Diet Pepsi. We couldn't afford those name brands. We drove Big K, you know, from Kroger's. That, that it was like an imitation of Coke or an imitation of Diet Coke. We um, grew up getting some meat donated to us from people within our church. And one certain family donated a bunch of venison to us as a family. Now, no one in my family is a hunter, so we're not used to the gamey taste of food. But when my mom inserted venison into the spaghetti sauce, that meat sauce. There was something different about it that all of us kids picked up on. And we started questioning my mom, like, what's different about the spaghetti sauce? She's like, oh, nothing's different. Nothing's different. We could spot something that was not an accurate representation of what we were expecting, right? Well, Jesus is not an imitation. An imitation is something that's like a substitute. It's intended to, to simulate or copy something else. But a representation means complete expression of, with all the authority of, as if the same. Jesus made the visible God, invisible God, visible. And he, he does that because he is God. He's capable of that because he is God. 
We saw this uh, declared many times as we studied through the Gospel of John in 2020. John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. No one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus declared himself in John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus, who is perfectly like the Father, reveals who he is in all of his goodness. If a person wants to know what God is like, they can study through the scriptures and find out everything they can about Jesus, for he shows us perfectly what the Father is like. That's why Jesus came, to reveal God to us. And that's why Paul says it is very significant because he's addressing these false teachings that were surrounding him of the day. They, they challenged the supremacy of Jesus. They minimalized his identity and certainly didn't recognize his deity. They began worshiping angels or other beings. They thought salvation was acquired through uh, knowledge rather than faith. And so Paul is refuting these erroneous views of Jesus. Look at the next statement he makes about Jesus. He says, Jesus is the source of all things. Jesus, or Paul declares Jesus is the firstborn over all creation in verse 15. Now this does not mean that Jesus is a created being like other false teachings have claimed all throughout history. Jesus, like God, is eternal. He's the creator, not the created. In John 1 verse 3, says, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. This original word that's translated firstborn stresses uniqueness and sovereignty rather than priority in time. Jesus is both prior to and sovereign over all creation. In verse 16, Paul just says, Jesus created all things. It means that he's the source of all things, that all things are subject to him. Paul lists several layers of powers and authorities here in this natural word that, that Jesus is over. Thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. Paul declares Jesus is Lord over all of these. He's also Lord of everything in the heavens, the visible and the invisible, things in the spiritual realm. All things, Paul says, God, Jesus is sovereign over. He has supremacy, which means he has no rival and he also has no equal. Everything in all creation comes from Jesus and is for Jesus, Paul says. Not only is he the source of all things, he was, all things were created for him. David declares in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The universe declares his power. Paul echoes that in Romans 1.20 when he says, creation reveals God's eternal power and divine nature. Creation reveals that we are not here by accident, and we also are not without purpose. That's why I believe in creation. I believe in creation that God created everything, even us. And I believe that above all the other false origin theories of life. Why? Well, because I don't think there's anything else that has a believable process of how we got here. And I certainly know that there is no other reason or no other thing that gives us a reason to live. That's why Paul wanted us to know that Jesus is the source of life He's also the reason to live. John 1, 4 says, in him was the life, and that life was the light of all mankind. With power and purpose, Jesus created all things. All creation finds their purpose in Jesus. There's no other name, cause, activity, or desire that's greater than Jesus. 
In verse 17, Paul says, Jesus is before all things, which means he is more important than anyone or anything. More worthy of our time, effort, energy, devotion, more than anything that we could offer that to or for. Because Jesus is the only source of true life. We often find ourselves distracted, even frustrated or worn out, pursuing some really good things in life, like work or family or friendships, even religious activity. But many of those things can leave us tired and empty. Nothing else in life offers us true life than Jesus. What he offers us is satisfying and secure. I love his invitation. Matthew 11 records it. Listen how the message translates this invitation of Jesus. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Then come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. As creator, Jesus knows how life was intended to be lived. We don't have need to look to any other source other than him to find true life. He is the source of it. Paul says not only is Jesus the revealer of God's character, he's not only the, the source of all things, he holds all things together, he says in verse 17. One of my favorite speakers is a guy named Louis Giglio. Louis, if you're not familiar with him, is most known for creating the, the passion movement. The passion movement is just a movement among young adults, helping them fall in love with Jesus to worship him and to serve him. The passion movement offers a, a large gathering every winter for young adults across this entire country. Literally tens of thousands, sometimes up to 100,000 have gathered for a passion conference. Out of the passion movement have come some really great worship leaders and songs. People like Chris Tomlin or David Crowder. Even, um, uh, there's another one. I was, oh, Phil Wickham. I, I like Phil Wickham's music. All those have come from the passion movement. Right now, Louis Giglio has turned that passion movement into a church. It's called Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia. When I was hearing Louis speak a couple years ago, he asked a question that kind of caught my attention. He says, do you know much about proteins? Well, I didn't know much about proteins at that point in my life. And I went on to listen to what Louis had to say. He said that our cells and our body are organized into molecular structures that determine what proteins there are in our body. And it's been estimated there is between 10,000 and 60,000 proteins in the human body. Many of them are unidentifiable, but there is one that's called the cell adhesion molecule. It's like the rebar of the human body. Rebar is that steel stuff they put in concrete to make it strong, right? Well, it's the glue that holds the human body together and it's named is laminin. Laminin is, is part of the structural scaffolding of any living organism. It's vital for the maintenance as well as the survival of any tissue. It holds the body together. Guess what happens when you Google the word laminin? This is what happens. It brings up the scientific diagram of the protein laminin. Can you see there what its structure looks like? Isn't it amazing it kind of looks like a cross? Look at the microscopic image of laminin. 
Isn't it interesting that the stuff that holds our body together, the stuff that keeps our skin on our bones, the thing that is holding our lives together from a biological standpoint is in the perfect shape of the cross of Jesus. I think it's a powerful metaphor. The same way that laminin holds our body together, Jesus holds all things together. He's not only the creator of the universe, he is the sustainer as well. He's the unifier of life itself. All would fall apart without his continuous sustaining activities. The tense of the Greek word that Paul uses speaks of the ongoingness of his sustaining work. You know, in the New Testament, we have recorded encounter after encounter of people coming to Jesus whose life was falling apart. Falling apart financially or physically, emotionally, relationally, and certainly even spiritually. And Jesus not only had the power to put life back together, then he still does. Jesus is capable of holding your life together when it feels like everything from every direction is pulling against you. So turn to him. Rely on his strength and power to hold you together. Paul says not only does Jesus hold all things together, he speaks that Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus' sovereignty includes his church. It's often referred to as his body, that Jesus is the head of the church, Paul says. You know, we can easily let our words tell on us what we might really believe about the church. We often use words like, well, that's my church, or this is our church. And those words tell on us because we eventually start behaving the way that we speak. When Jesus asked his followers, who do people say that I am? And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter responded with a powerful declaration. He says, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And based on this truth, Jesus then made his own powerful declaration. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I think it's really important for every one of us to remember who the head of the church is. It's not the pastor. It's not even the elders, it's Jesus. I'm grateful to be part of a congregation that believes that, who understands that Jesus is in charge and seeks to live in love like him because that is the case. Living that way requires great humility. We don't demand our way or our own preferences when Jesus is in charge. We seek his ways, we trust him, and we surrender to him, collectively and individually, as well. Paul speaks of how Jesus loves his church and offers this as an example to husbands the way that they should love their wives in Ephesians 5 verse 25 through 30. In fact, every wedding I perform, I try to read this passage and often I'll look at the woman who feels like she has the harder uh, you know, cross to bear in marriage when it says, wives, submit to your husbands. But I say to the groom every time, like, guys, I think we have the hardest job because listen what the challenge is for husbands. Paul says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present to her, her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. 
If that's how Jesus treats the church, then we can trust him as Lord of it. Paul uses this analogy of body to declare what Jesus's role is in the church, but also what ours is as well. We must recognize that we are part of the body of Christ. Our simple response is just to say, Jesus, how can I help your church declare your glory by how I live and by how I love those in the world around me? Paul goes on to say, Jesus is victor over death. Paul states in verse 18 that Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. And when you hear that phrase, you might not quite understand what he is referring to. But what Paul is saying about Jesus is that Jesus died, he came back to life, and he lives now forever, eternally. This is only true of Jesus so far. He is the firstborn, the founder of a new humanity, the initiator of a new life. Before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he made a powerful declaration about himself in John chapter 11. He said this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus not only declared that to be true, he proved that to be true when he resurrected himself. This is really important to understanding what true faith is all about and also understanding Jesus's identity and his deity. Jesus conquered sin on the cross and death through his resurrection. That means he is truly sovereign. Nobody else has ever done that or ever will. Paul is in his first letter to the Corinthians wrote about this powerful declaration, this powerful truth about Christ's resurrection and also speaks clearly about what happens to us when we die. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There tends to be so much fear around death. I think most of it's because none of us have ever died and lived to tell about it personally, right? And so it's an unknown. We view death as the end of the story. But death was not the end of the story for Jesus, and it doesn't have to be the end of our story. Jesus died and came back to life, and he offers us victory over death through his power. While death is unknown, it doesn't have to be feared because we can have victory over it. Jesus is ushering in the resurrection age as the first to live forever, and we can have that same hope because he offers us the same promise. We too will live with him forever. This word firstborn is synonymous with another word in the Bible called first fruits. They are the first that happen. And I think of both of them when I look around me and see spring that's bursting into life. When you see that first bud on a tree or that first bloom on a flower, it's a sign that what was dead is now coming back to life, right? But there's not just one bud or one bloom, right? It's the first of many. Jesus is the first one to come back to life. The first of all who believe in him. And since this is true, we can have confidence and we can live with purpose. That's what Paul said next to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
Paul finally says, Jesus is the reconciler of all things. Of all that Paul wants us to know about Jesus, of the things Jesus is and does, in verse 19 and 20, Paul stresses that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus so that he could reconcile all things back to himself. This is the climax of the hymn, and it's also the ultimate role for Jesus. Since Jesus is truly and fully God, he's the creator, the source and sustainer of life of all things. He's the head of the church. He has victory over death. He is therefore capable of mediating between God and us. There is nothing or no one to fear. There is no other person or no other way than Jesus to be reconciled to God. Jesus is Lord over creation. But since the very beginning of creation, the unity and harmony of the cosmos has suffered a serious breach because of sin in need of reconciliation. And Paul says it was God's good pleasure to bring heaven and earth back together under the intended lordship of Jesus, that Jesus made peace between God and us through his sacrifice and death on the cross. This word reconciliation has a lot to do with pacification. We know that as parents, like, let's get the kid to be quiet. Let's give them anything that will accomplish that end, right? Well, that's a small version of pacification. On a much grander scale, God pacified his own wrath by paying the penalty of sin through Jesus. Listen to how Paul describes that in Colossians 1, verses 21 and 23. Paul says, once, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has rescued you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and it's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Did you catch Paul's response to all he's just been saying about who Jesus is? He says, I, Paul, have become a servant. What he means is, because of all this to be true about Jesus, I have chosen to place my faith in him, to trust in him for who he is, to love him and to worship him, to follow him and serve him. The question I need to ask all of you today is this, what are you going to do in response to who Jesus is. Have you come to a place where you could answer that question? Do you believe Jesus is all who Paul has declared him to be today and who scripture reveals him to be? Or are you settling for a cheap imitation of God, letting your affections and desire and your devotion be given to something or someone else other than Jesus? Do you recognize Jesus as the source of and purpose for your life? Have you turned to Jesus when nothing else seems to offer you help or hope and you have found him to be able to hold you together? Do you see why Jesus is not only the reason to live here and now, but the only way to live forever? If the Bible and all it says about Jesus is true, how will you respond? I hope you'll respond like Paul that you'll recognize all Jesus is and all that he's done, and that you'll choose to believe and love and trust and worship and follow 
and serve him alone. We hope to continue to understand who Jesus is because we've made a commitment to live like him and to love like him. If you're interested in joining us in that journey or you're ready today to respond to who Jesus is, to make him the love and Lord of your life, then I'd encourage you, wherever you may be, whether you're worshiping here in person or online right now, just text the word now to 812-858-8668 and let us know that you're ready now to respond to who Jesus is truly is. I'd love to meet with you right up front if you'd like to talk to me in person or you can stop by and visit one of our welcome tables as you leave. It's a great place for you to let us know of that desire too. In light of all that Paul has had to say about who Jesus is, I want to encourage you to complete some homework. Each week we're offering some of these assignments to help us engage and grow in our understanding of what faith is all about. So this week, in addition to reading through the book of Colossians, I want to encourage you to write a paragraph. Some of you might have an artsy side and you could write a poem, or maybe some of you might even compose a song. But I want you to describe who Jesus is. Be careful not to just describe him who he is to you, because that might not be an exact accurate description of who Jesus is. I want you to declare who Jesus is and use our passage today and other scriptures to remind you of the truth about Jesus. And then, as another assignment, I want you to find one way to share it with someone. Maybe you'll tweet about it. Maybe you'll make it a Facebook post. Maybe you'll invite somebody for a cup of coffee and share them with them who Jesus is. Or maybe you'll write a letter to somebody that you know needs to truly understand and embrace who Jesus is. My prayer is that because of who Jesus is, our lives will be changed forever in the here and now and for eternity. And the way that we live and the way that we love will be defined by who Jesus is. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for revealing yourself to us. We're not left to figure it out or to stumble upon it or to wait for some apple to hit us under a tree, God. You have revealed yourself to us through creation, through your word, through the Holy Spirit, and also most powerfully through Jesus. He is not an imitation or a false attempt. He is an exact representation of who you are. You sent him here to our world to reveal your character to show us and give us a reason to live, to hold us together when all the world seems to be yanking and pulling and, and, and trying to rip us apart. God, that Jesus is the one who holds us together. He's also the head of the church. We look to him, not just for leadership, but for lordship. And we understand that it's only through him that we have been reconciled to you and we have a relationship with you that isn't just for this life, it's for the life to come as well. And I pray all those truths would sink from our head into our heart and be expressed in our hands and our feet, in our heart, in our words, in the way that we live, in the way that we love, God. Pray that this world would notice, not us, but they'd notice you. They'd be drawn to you because they see Jesus in us. And we pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.